now listening to the Paseo Podcast, where we highlight stories by, from, and about the Puerto Rican community. Bienvenidos a todos tuning into the Paseo Podcast, where we highlight stories by, from, and about the Puerto Rican community. My name is Joshua Smizer de Leon, and I am happy you joined us today wherever and whenever you are listening to this. We have started this podcast as a way to bring attention to the diverse and vibrant stories that make up the Puerto Rican communities here on Paseo Boricua in Chicago and around the world. From La Isla to the diaspora, we hope you enjoy what you hear. This past Friday, September 20th, marked the second anniversary of Hurricane Maria's devastating impact on Puerto Rico. So we invited the co-chair of the Puerto Rican Agenda, Jesse Fuentes, back on the show to discuss the Puerto Rican Agenda's 3Rs campaign to help La Isla in its recovery. We were originally going to interview Puerto Rican muralist Cristian Roldan for this episode, but I'm going to save that for a later podcast. And the reason why that is is because I was able to sit down with Lauren Herman, who's a local photographer. She actually has volunteered her skills to offer discounted headshots to the community in order to help raise money for the PR Agenda's 3Rs campaign. First pictures now coming in from Puerto Rico after taking a direct hit. Maria is the first Category 4 to hit there in nearly a century. 150 mile an hour winds ripping buildings apart, knocking out power everywhere. All of the electricity is out tonight. Hurricane Maria slamming into the island, and as you heard, one official saying the island is destroyed. Jesse, welcome to the Paseo Podcast. Thank you for having me. Tell our listeners a little bit about you. Yeah, uh, my name is Jesse Fuentes. I'm the co-chair of the Puerto Rican Agenda of Chicago. And so the Puerto Rican Agenda is a non-incorporated organization that believes in ensuring that Puerto Rican families have resources everywhere, whether that is alliance with health, education, food, housing, cultural resources. The Puerto Rican Agenda has concerned itself with ensuring that Chicago can become a hub for Puerto Rican families. For our listeners, if you want to learn more about the Puerto Rican agenda, definitely listen to our last episode. Jesse goes into some significant detail into what the Puerto Rican agenda is and what they stand for. In our last episode, Jesse, we talked about backing up our words with action with the National Day of Action in Washington, D.C. I want to talk about another thing the PR agenda is taking action on, and that is Hurricane Maria. We just passed the second anniversary of the hurricane hitting the island and ruining thousands of lives. What work has the PR agenda been doing to help our people on La Isla? Most recently, as of two years ago, after Hurricane Maria, um, we launched what's known as the three R's campaign, rescue, uh, relief, and rebuild. And that is us being able to leverage the resources that we have here on the state side, whether that's financial or 
um, and within the context of policy to ensure that Puerto Rico gets the aid that it deserves. You mentioned Rescue Relief Rebuild, the three R's campaign for the yeah. Puerto Rican agenda. Mm-hmm. Not words, but action. How are we helping the island and the people that were affected by Hurricane Maria two years ago? The Trump administration's lack of presence on the island, uh, FEMA's lack of consistency in the benefits that they've provided other people since we've been seeing so many parts of this side of the hemisphere since 2005 being hit by these massive hurricanes and this displacement that's happened. We didn't see a lot of those same benefits for building bridges for permanent housing for Puerto Ricans that couldn't were in unlivable homes on the island. Mm-hmm. Um, I could go on and on and on um, talking about the effects of Hurricane Maria, but I want to hear from you. Where is what is the three R's campaign? Share a little bit about that. What have what has the campaign been able to accomplish? What stage of the campaign are you in? Yeah. And is there a number on how much you've been able to to raise to help people? Yeah. So, you know, let's let's start with what happened almost two years ago, right? On September 20th, two years ago, Hurricane Maria devastated Puerto Rico. I mean, towns were completely flooded. Um, houses were destroyed. Mm-hmm. Elected officials didn't know what to do. Um Category yeah. four hurricane. Category four huge, hurricane, you know. Huge. The diaspora watched the island be destroyed, right? Um, one of the most difficult things to watch. And we knew that Puerto Rico was in a crisis and that we knew that in order for us to be able to rebuild our island, because look, Puerto Ricans live in the diaspora. Many of us, our entire lives, some of us, half of our lives, Puerto Rico is still our home, right? And Puerto Rico still is a place where many of our families live. And there were many Puerto Ricans in Chicago that could not stand still when we seen Hurricane Maria hit. More importantly, we we started planning for what the work would be like uh, after Hurricane Ilma, right? Mm. So we knew that Hurricane Ilma was going to hit Puerto Rico and devastate Puerto Rico. And then when we seen Hurricane Maria coming, uh, we knew that we needed some real plans in place. So we started immediately after Hurricane Maria, right after Hurricane Ilma, right before Hurricane Maria, we had a fundraiser at Segundo Ruiz Belvis, and we were able to raise over $70,000 in one night. And we knew that we needed to utilize those $70,000 to be able to provide relief for Puerto Rico and to be able to rescue people from Puerto Rico. And so we, um, it had been right after Hurricane Maria hit, uh, we sent planes with pallets of materials that we knew Puerto Rico did not have at the time. And so we sent filters for water because we knew people in Puerto Rico were struggling to get clean water. Uh, We sent medicine um, we had a partnership with Lurie Hospital, and so we were able to send medicine and doctors. We sent pallets with wipes, toilet paper, formula for babies. Um, we sent, you know, the, the very essentials that Puerto Ricans needed just to survive. When we sent those pallets, uh, we were actually able to bring a plane back of Puerto Ricans who had nowhere to go. Um, and we then started the Refugee Resource Center here in Humboldt Park, one of its only kind in the diaspora. 
And it was through that resource center that we were able to assist refugees with housing, employment, um, and some sustainability here in the diaspora until Puerto Rico could be rebuilt for them to return. After that, you know, the Puerto Rican agenda understood this is not enough. We got to give more. There has to be some longevity to this work, right? Because FEMA wasn't providing enough. Uh, FEMA was giving boxes with Doritos and Slim Jims as food. Um, they weren't giving enough clean water. And we recently seen that in the news, right? Uh, uh Tons of acres of land in Dorado filled with water that had been given to Puerto Rico that people were supposed to receive, right? Insurance companies were not responding to the rebuilding of houses because the way houses are given to family members in Puerto Rico is like a passing down of, mm -hmm. of, of something that's valuable, right? Grandparents upon grandparents had passed down houses for generations, and the recent owners of those houses don't have titles, Right? And so the the rebuilding phase of Puerto Rico, in terms of the government supporting it, was in a crisis. And organizations across the diaspora understood that immediately, mm -hmm. right? And, and then you have the incident where Trump goes to Puerto Rico and his form of aid and his form of uplifting an island was by throwing paper towels at the people of Puerto Rico. And so the Puerto Rican agenda understood not only did we need to be a part of helping provide some financial security to Puerto Rico and helping to stir up the economy, but we also understood there needed to be some real work around policy, right? And so we had applied for a grant. We were given, you know, a good chunk of money. We decided that we were going to disperse those funds into many grants in different municipalities that needed it most, right? Puerto Rico overall got hit and was devastated. But there were municipalities in Puerto Rico that had been extremely devastated, but more importantly, were given no resources. You know, municipalities that were in the mountains, municipalities that had been forgotten about. And so we made a choice to be able to give many grants to those people. And we also understood that we needed to be intentional about where those funds went and, and what organizations or what homes did they rebuild. And so we began to do our research, you know, with friends and electoral politicians on the island. Who needs it most was the question over and over and over again. And when we got the answers, we gave the money. We were able to give money to nonprofit agencies across different municipalities on the island. We partnered with different mayors, right? And so we have a very strong relationship with the mayor of San Juan, the mayor of Comerillo, the mayor of Luisa, and the mayor of Guayama. Um, and we ensured that those municipalities also got what they needed. You know, we were able to rebuild a sustainable home in Puerto Rico. Um, we were able to give monies to mayors that disperse those in, you know, stipend checks for families to be able to buy food and water. Um, we were able to give money to municipalities that were able to buy generators and gasoline, right? And so, you know, the Puerto Rican agenda has spent over a million dollars, you know, just trying to rebuild Puerto Rico in the most effective way. I don't think I don't think many people realize. I'm sure in the diaspora, especially on the island, this is a this is a well known. But when Maria hit, and when we looked at the death toll, it was under a hundred. Was the thought 
And that's the number that was put out there. And in reality, the effects of Maria, we're talking in the thousands, like 4,000 plus. We're talking about over 4,000 people who, you know, passed due to the impacts of the hurricane. And I think that what the government of Puerto Rico didn't want to grapple with is that it wasn't the violence of the hurricane that took lives, right? Um, You know, I I can imagine that a few hundred people did pass that way, right, from the violence of the hurricane itself. But you have to think about the individuals who needed resources and didn't get it, diabetics who needed insulin, who needed clean water, who needed food, individuals who were on respirators that needed electricity for those respirators to work. You're talking about individuals who went hungry, who got sick without their medicine, children who needed formula, food, diapers, milk, and the government of the United States refused to give that proper aid. Just recently, President Trump took funds, relief funds, from Puerto Rico towards this wall project he has going on, right? He takes money from one group of people who needs it to further marginalize and oppress another group of people. People deserve to have quality public resources and assistance. We can no longer continue to cut from the people that need it most. Puerto Rico deserves all of the resources to have completely been rebuilt from Hurricane Maria like a year ago. Um, We're asking for transparency, both on the local and federal level, right? Trump throws out these numbers of the amount of dollars he has given Puerto Rico. There's like nothing to back that up, right? Right. Like where is that money that he is talking about? Um, So we want transparency on both the local and federal level. The people of Puerto Rico deserve that. Right, If there are federal dollars being allocated, which enough has not been allocated, to be clear, right, the local government needs to be transparent about where those funds go. Who is it being given? It? Who is it being given to? How is it being dispersed? How can the people of Puerto Rico access it? Mm-hmm. Right? And currently, that type of transparency is not put in place. And so when you're talking about over 4,000 lives being taken, you're talking about those lives being taken because we were under hands that were negligent, that refused to give aid, that treated Puerto Rico like a piece of property rather than something that is supposed to be a partnership or a relationship, right? It is at this moment where the diaspora, people in Puerto Rico understand and completely feel the colonial status of Puerto Rico, right? And and what it's like to be treated as colonial beings. And unfortunately, after Hurricane Maria, that is no longer a question. Puerto Rico is a colonial property of the United States. Yeah, that's just the underestimation of the impact Maria could have, not only as it was ravaging the island, but the after effects. I remember hearing uh, people being told, oh, you know, just be prepared for couple weeks a month you know we'll get everything set that's fine you know it's nothing just you know do what we normally do when a hurricane's about to hit the island mm. when we look at that death toll it's the second deadliest death toll in u.s history yeah 
from something like this. Mm -hmm. To your point, like especially people on respirators that rely on electricity, you know, when that stuff goes out, that's the first thing that's going out. Your mm -hmm. comms are going out, access to your to money in your bank and ATM. Mm -hmm. And then we look at close to a year later, half the island didn't have electricity still. Mm-hmm how we don't connect the dots there to say that you know all these deaths find their way all beginning with maria hitting the island yeah. it will be two years the hurricane maria devastated the island of puerto rico and there are still thousands of blue tarps on roofs ridiculous there are still many families who do not have sustainable electricity because puerto rico does not have a sustainable ele electricity grid I mean, this is what, you know, we're talking about a contract with Whitefish, billions of dollars, mm -hmm. and they fixed nothing, you know? You're talking about families who still have to rely on generators two years later, right? Having to spend money on gasoline to be able to turn a light switch on. That is the condition of Puerto Rico today, and we are entering the second anniversary of the hurricane. And so there is a lot of work to be done, right? And it's not just around the rebuilding of Puerto Rico, but we have to be able to impact policy. That's just where we're at. We have to be able to change how Puerto Rico is governed, how it's ran, and who is responsible for the funds. People of Puerto Rico are angry. And the over 1 million Puerto Ricans that took the streets in Puerto Rico, after that chat room, mm -hmm. they taught us a master class in democracy. One third. There's three, a little over three million people on the island. Over a million people took the streets. One third of a nation took the streets and made a governor resign. That is history. Right? That's a master class of democracy. Most definitely. And so one thing that Puerto Ricans understand here now in the diaspora is that we must represent Puerto Ricans on the island because they cannot represent themselves. We can change the course of electoral politics mm -hmm. the way the people of Puerto Rico taught us. And we will do so by determining who is the president of the United States in the 2020 campaign. We want Congress to understand that we are powerful people and that we need their support. We want the presidential candidates to understand that if Puerto Rico is not on their agenda, that if the rebuilding of Puerto Rico, if the independent audit of the debt, if the self-determination of the island is not on their agenda, they cannot count on the Puerto Rican vote, right? And we hope to be able to inspire and to engage and to ignite other Puerto Rican diasporic communities to also do the same. All right, Jesse, thank you so much for being on the Paseo Podcast. How can people keep up with the PR agenda? How can they keep up with you? Puerto Rican Agenda First, everyone can visit our website, PuertoRicanChicago.org. We have a Facebook, Puerto Rican Chicago. Feel free to visit. My name is Jesse Fuentes, and so all of my social media accounts uh, can be found under my name. My first name is spelled J-E-S-S-I-E. -S -S -E. um, the I is important. <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah I mean feel free to look me up I use a lot of my social media platforms to advance the work of the Puerto Rican agenda to talk about issues of Puerto Rico to advance other people's literature right around what's really happening and not what's posted or you know recorded um, popular news feeds but you know 
the independent journalism that truly deserves to be published. And so if folks are interested in learning, you know, feel free to follow. But I'm also really good at engaging with folks. And so if you have questions, if you're wondering, if you want to know more, you know, feel free to send a message on either platforms and we can engage in a dialogue. Jesse, thank you so much for coming on. We want to take this moment to say thank you again for listening. When you download our podcast or subscribe to the podcast itself, that makes a world of difference. So gracias for taking your time to listen to us. We also want to take this time to thank the sponsor of today's episode. This episode would not be possible without the generous support of the Puerto Rican Cultural Center. The Puerto Rican Cultural Center, located at 2546 West Division Street, right here in Chicago, is a community-based, grassroots, educational, health, and cultural services organization founded on the principles of self-determination, self-actualization, and self-sufficiency that is all activist-oriented. For more information on the work they do, Give them a visit at their website at prcc-chgo.org. Again, that's prcc-chgo.org. Now, if you or anyone else you know would like to be a sponsor of the Paseo Podcast, please email us at paseopod at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-E-O-P-O-D at gmail.com. Tell them Joshua from Humble Park sent you. Our next guest on the Paseo podcast is Lauren Herman. Lauren is a photographer who lives in Humboldt Park. Uh, Lauren, we just want to welcome you. And and why don't you uh, tell our audience who you are? Yeah, um, my name is Lauren. I'm a photographer and I've been in Humboldt Park for 10 years and counting. I love the neighborhood. 10 years. My gosh, you've been here a decade. Same building the whole time. too. Yeah. Was there any particular reason why you chose Humboldt Park? Me and two of my friends were just looking for a place desperately because they were conned out of an apartment. And this was where we found a place. Well, you chose a great community to, to move into. Community, as you can tell here on Basel Boricua, is extremely important. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your views on community? Why do you find community to be important? Well, being part of an engaged community and a vibrant community is really important to me. I believe strong communities are crucial for our health and well-being. Um, I think that we're seeing more and more of these feelings of disconnectedness and disassociation going on with people in their communities, especially with technology replacing our human interactions. You know, I think it's really important to have strong community to sort of make up for that, to sort of fill the gap. You know, you have your groceries delivered now instead of walking to the grocery store that's just down the street. And that takes down your number of interactions with people by a significant amount just in an afternoon like when you're walking there's tons of people around here that just you know would say hi or that you would interact with i definitely hear that and i don't know if you know i'm just speaking from my perspective but i know the times when i have unplugged and just been been present in a moment i have found myself to be much happier than just diving into my phone looking at the latest drama or how many emails are unread in my inbox like Mm -hmm. that stress is kind of uh, I'm kind of relieved from that stress. Sure. So uh, that's a that's. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, so your experiences, I'm sure, inform a lot of the work you do. 
But why don't, why don't you talk about a little bit of the experience you have working in the neighborhood? So you've been in Humboldt yeah. Park for 10 years. <clears throat> what are some of the things you've been a part of, have done? Yeah, so uh, when I first moved here, uh, I was doing some local events that were like poetry, art events, and they were kind of fundraiser food drives for uh, a women's shelter called Deborah's Place. Um, it was it was an event called Words That Kill, and it was in a few different locations around the area. Um, it was in Wicker Park. Um, so, you know, a few of our venues were there. Um, we've had it, it's popped up at a few different places, but you could always get in free if you brought a canned good, and those always went to Deborah's Place. Um, I did youth and children activities as part of a spiritual empowerment program, like educational and spiritual, to sort of help develop the capacity to make really informed decisions in young people, both for their material growth and their spiritual growth. Um, So like virtues, but also like practical things, Um, like how to apply those things to our community and doing service in the community, little service projects and things. And then the hurricane hit and I was thinking, I you know really wanted to do something to help the Puerto Rican community specifically, not just you know everyone in my neighborhood, but you know I live in the Puerto Rican neighborhood. I really just felt with how everything, especially with how everything was handled as after the hurricane, it was just so appalling to me. I just the desire to help counterbalance that, you know, with what I could give, like was just really strong. We had Jesse Fuentes on the co-chair of the Puerto Rican Agenda, and she was mentioning that the PR Agenda had a three R's campaign mm-hmm. in response to Hurricane Maria devastating uh, Puerto Rico. So when we met initially, it was yeah. at Fiesta Boricua, mm-hmm. and I was walking around to see the different <laughs> tents, all the things that are happening, and I saw that you were doing headshots. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I had this idea. So I didn't know what I wanted to do at first. I just knew I wanted to do something. And I was brainstorming about something related to my business, which was just getting to know more of the entrepreneurs and local business owners in my community. um, Because I do uh, work in marketing photography. And so I wanted to help, you know, at the local level, in addition to the other places in the city where I do that. And I was just thinking like, oh man, that would be a really good fundraiser. And I could also, you know, get to know people in the neighborhood by providing uh, discounted headshots um, in exchange for a donation, the entire proceeds of which would go to the three R's campaign. So I, I mean, I wasn't aware of that particular campaign uh, initially, but when I went to the Puerto Rican Cultural Center, they just were so excited about the idea and they told me all about the Puerto Rican Agenda's three R's campaign. And I was just, you know, we were, everyone was on board. I was on board. They were on board and they made it, ha- they really helped make it happen. So how did the, walk us through, what were the logistics involved in this? How many rounds of this did you, did you end up doing? I did my own social media stuff and, you know, obviously tagged the cultural center and the Puerto Rican Agenda and just sort of put it out there. It, it was really, it felt really organic. I felt like at least half of the people that came by were people that I had already met in the process what, because like they either worked for the, you know, the cultural center or they knew me uh, through other channels, friends or professionally. Um, but the logistically, the biggest obstacle was just having a space um, because I do a lot of my shoots, you know, remotely. So Nadia from the cultural center 
reached out to a number of business owners in the area who had spaces that she felt would work for such a thing. You know, I need so many feet by so many feet space, you know, to set up my, my studio. So, I mean, I had all the equipment so I could set everything up, but just kind of having a space was really the only obstacle. And so they made, they made that work. That's great. Mm -hmm. So in total, I mean, how do you feel, how do you feel this, this fundraising effort went? I or how it did went it really go, well. I should ask? Yeah, yeah, it went really well. I, I did get to know a lot of people who are, you know, engaged and active in the community. So the current effort went pretty well. Um, we raised over $700 uh, over two the two weekends that we did it. Um, and what I'm hoping to do now is I've been talking with Nadia about different opportunities within the small business owner community and entrepreneurs. Because uh, I would like to continue to do some kind of discounted headshot thing because I think that that's something that certain people in the community might value. And, you know, it's a kind of a win-win, I think. How much does a professional headshot normally go for? How much does that run somebody? I know it's between, pretty arbitrary. Between, depending on the... between $250 and... $500, I guess, but wow. pro probably it's, it's usually around, I would say average is around $300. Wow. So, and that, and that's about what I charge depending on, yeah. you know, I try to keep myself, you know, my rates affordable. So for the fundraiser, you mentioned having discounted rates. What was that discounted? It was rate? $50. Wow. Um, but it was <laughs> so, a much shorter session though, too. Sure, so sure. I feel like it, it prorated to a, a pretty reasonable, um, I think it's pretty reasonable. You know, you got a few pictures out of it. And a lot of photographers, they only really let you keep a handful of pictures from a full, you know, hour, two-hour session anyway. Um, you know, I usually let people have a little more. So so this session and, you know, giving a couple photos for that amount, it's it's a pretty good deal if you're in the market, you know, if you're aware of the market. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if we're talking 250 to $300, we're, I mean, that's a significant, That's make that makes... Uh, getting a headshot accessible to people. Yeah. And that's super important. You know, I think that that kind of an image could really mean the difference between someone choosing to interview you or not choosing to interview you. So, definitely, definitely appreciate yeah. you sharing your skills within the community here. For our listeners that want to learn more about you, connect with you, maybe there's a photography request in there somewhere. Yeah, I mean, and How would also, we be able to connect with you? Yeah, I mean, and, and even young people who want to learn about photography like oh, great. you know I, I think that if I can you know give advice or have someone you know if they're interested in assisting me or doing something like that you know I'm also interested to work with youth you know to help give them an advantage because um, awesome. it's very competitive photography is very very competitive right now mm -hmm. and it's a lot about who you know and, and all that but but yeah if you want to get in touch with me um, my Instagram is laurenherman.photography. Uh, the Herman is spelled with two R's and two N's. That's important, people. Yeah. <laughs> um, and lauren at laurenhermanphotography.com. It's my email address. Um, but yeah, those are, I'm, and my website is laurenhermanphotography.com. So it's, it's pretty, pretty easy if you spell the name correctly. <laughs> Awesome. Lauren, thank you so much for coming on the Bus Sale Podcast. Oh, and, thank you so much. Uh, we'll definitely look out for the new website and we'll look yes. out for another opportunity <laughs> to get our headshots. Yeah, yeah. Um, so thank you for everything you've done. Thank you for volunteering your skills once again for that three R's campaign. I'm sure the people of Puerto Rico really appreciate it, especially the Puerto Rican agenda here as it continues that momentum of, of its efforts to, to help the island. So thank you. Well, thank you for having me.
Special thanks to Jesse Fuentes and Lauren Herman for coming on the podcast. Without our awesome guests, this podcast would not be possible. And without you, our listeners, this would not be possible. So we really appreciate you listening. If you want to reach out to the show, connect with us by visiting our website, baseomedia.org, emailing us at baseopodcast at gmail.com, and following us at baseopodcast on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a tip, want to pitch a story, or send us a compliment, we love to hear from you. Thanks for downloading this episode, and see you next week. Cuídate.